<laughs> yeah, give it up for acting better than Sterling K. Brown on This Is Us. Not really. My name is Ben Seaman. I serve on staff as our lead minister, part-time actor. Uh, welcome to week two of Hero Maker. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online, at home, in your car. Hopefully you're not watching and driving at the same time. Uh, as well as everyone here in person. We started the Hero Maker series uh, because we want to re-engage uh, and reopen the idea of wonder of that it takes the local body to serve the church and to serve other people. Now, last week when we kicked off this series, uh, we, we said that we needed to think like a hero maker, okay? And so when we think like a hero maker, a hero maker says, how can I invest my life into other people. A hero says, how can I make my life uh, where I can be the main character, okay? Now, you can choose which one you want to be. What Jesus invites us into is to be hero makers, to give our lives away. And at the end of week one, uh, I quoted uh, Philippians chapter two, where Paul says we need to have the same mindset of Christ. What was the mind? How did Jesus think? How did God think about his days? Well, he gave his life away. So I hate saying this, but I'm learning this. If you want to know if you're growing in your spiritual formation, you're becoming um, not as easily as, as offended as you are the day before. Oh, I hate that, but it's so true. Why? Why are Christians uh, who are not as easily offended maybe the day before? Like, because we're giving our lives away. That this world that we're in is great for a season, but it's not our final destination. And so today we need to talk about Week one was, how does the hero maker think? Today, we're going to talk about how does the hero maker see? And so here's the big idea, okay? Seeing like a hero maker requires a shift from focusing on my own abilities, uh, and it fits to envisioning what God could do through the lives of others. So yes, you could complete a task. Uh, you could get the promotion. You could get the raise. You could get the accolades. You can be awesome, but Jesus says, instead of living a life of being awesome, why don't you live your life and take your abilities and invest them uh, in other people? It's an opportunity to see people, not where they're at, which we'll talk about more later in the message, but where they could be, where they could end up. Now, we all love superheroes, right? But we also love the hero makers behind the superheroes, right? Like Alfred and Batman, right? Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Sun, right? The Karate Kid, which Cobra Kai is a great show, by the way. That, that, that's just free. There's something amazing about superheroes, but there's something, I think, even uh, a little better for the people that are behind the scenes that have made them into who they are today. Now, I don't know if this is going to blow your mind or not. We use the word disciple a lot, but as Christians... We are Jesus's hero makers. Like we're supposed to have the same mind as our rabbi and we're supposed to see people the way Jesus saw people. And if you see people the way Jesus sees people, you're going to get into a lot of really good trouble. Now, Jesus laid this blueprint for us. It's a text we're going to read and look at every 
single week of this series. Uh, we call it the Great Commission. And this is Jesus' blueprint of how you make disciples or how you make hero makers. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, or Matthew writes these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By whom? Well, by my Father. Therefore, all right, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with, don't freak out, guys, Peter, don't freak out. I am with you, even to the very end of the age. And I talked about this in week one. It's essentially Jesus saying, guys, whether you realized it or not, you are getting a master class in discipleship over the last, you know, three years sounds a long time, but over the last 36 months, now I'm going away and I want you to do what I poured into you. One of the things that I think the church and Christians struggle with is nostalgia, Right? Man, I wish we could go back to 2019 when it was a packed house and COVID-19 wasn't a thing. Man, I wish we could go back in like the 90s where our church was like a thousand people or you fill in the blank. Jesus isn't into nostalgia. Actually, the writers of the Bible say that Jesus is into a new thing. God's interested in doing a new thing with people all the time. The trouble is, especially in the church world, we get so set in our ways with all of our structures and how we should do things, heaven forbid, Jesus invites us into something new. And that causes us to change our perspective and to shift. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. Hey, we, we shared some great times, but we're not going to make a lifetime movie out of this on Hallmark. I got to go. It's time for you to do what I've commanded you. Don't freak out. I'll be with you and I'll send you a helper in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is inviting the disciples to do a new thing. Jesus is inviting Rockingham Christian Church, churches across the world, and us today individually to do a new thing. What 2020, 2019 is, 2020 is, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. I'm going to do a new thing. I want you to raise up other hero makers who raise up other hero makers. And Jesus says one of the most interesting statements, for me at least, in his ministry in John 14, 12, when he says this, very truly I tell you, in other words, hey, listen up, Peter. I don't know why I'm picking on Peter, but because I identify with Peter. Peter, listen up, all right? Get the rocks out of your nose. Whoever believes in me, right, will do the work I have been doing. Now, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What? Jesus, who is both man and God, said we are going to do greater things than what he did? Yeah. How many people did Jesus baptize in his ministry? Zero. Why? Because Jesus is a good leader. When you invite and invest and disciple people in your life, and they come to faith, and they believe the gospel, and you get to baptize them, man, that stuff is addicting. You want to do it over and over and over again. Jesus, right, the C.S. Lewis quote I mentioned last week, Jesus could have done everything perfectly without us. But he invites us, I think, in the humor of God. He invites us to fall forward, to blunder, to mess up, to do what he could have done perfectly, but to share in the mission of the kingdom of God. We get to do it with Jesus. We're not 
working for God. I don't, I'm not a pastor. To, I don't work for God. I get to do ministry with God. I get to do ministry with Jesus. My identity is not in how awesome of a pastor I am. My identity is that I am a beloved son of the most high God. That's who I am. And yet Jesus still invites us as sons and daughters of God in all of our sin, in all of our brokenness, in all of our insecurities. Here's the deal. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus in terms of leadership development, but he expects you. Church, he expects us to do greater things than in the 36 months of his public ministry. The challenge is, will somebody do it? Or will we just say, oh, that's warm and nice. I'll write in my journal and never do anything with it in my life. Jesus expects us to bear fruit, right? He's all about inviting people to journey with Jesus, having them believe the gospel and discipling them and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until he comes back or we pass from this life to the next. In Matthew 4, 18 through 20, Jesus begins his ministry. He practices what he preaches. Matthew says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He noticed uh, two brothers, Simon and Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net uh, in the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus, come, come and follow me. Right? There's, no, there's no pop quiz, no theology, like, you know, ethical convert. Just come follow me. Come follow me. And he just, Jesus kind of moves on, right? Jesus says, I will send you out to fish for people or make you, depending on your translation, make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. There is something about Jesus that captured these, um, imagine, the minds and imaginations of these men. Now, it's easy probably for us because we don't really relate to first century culture all that much. Um, but to drop your nets meant to give up your life. You gave up your life livelihood. It was, it was an economical impact to follow Jesus. You don't believe me? Read Acts, I think it's 16, where Ephesus is converting to uh, Christianity in droves and all of those little idols that I talked about of Artemis. And, and when we talk about Ephesus and the seven churches, Christians were quit, quitting their jobs. Like, I, I follow Jesus. I don't want to make these idols. I, I, there's a conflict in my personal walk with Jesus. I don't want to do this. And it made ec economical impact. So for you, for you, maybe <laughs> it's not drop your nets, right? We do have fishermen at our church. So for some, it is that. Uh, but ask your students, hey, drop your iPhone and follow Jesus. How's that going to work out, right? Stop gaming for three hours and read your Bible for an hour, Right. What is that thing that if Jesus called you away from it, there would be some struggle, there would be some tension in your life? Here, here's, the, here's the vision of Jesus, church. Jesus has a bigger vision for your life than you do. Jesus has a bigger vision for Rockingham Christian Church or any church in the world than what it currently has. And we're just, you know, we're, we're feeble people, Right? We're humans. That's why the scriptures call us, right? Man makes his plans, but at the end of the day, God makes the final call. So it's important for churches and for Christians to plan, to pray, to be in God's word, to seek the Lord. But at the end of the day, God makes the final decisions. I just, I just want to, I wonder, as you're listening to me speak this weekend, 
if you actually believe that Jesus has a God-sized vision for your life that, that might be even bigger than who you are. And it's beyond your labels of mom or dad, grandfather, grandpa, student, teacher, employee, employer. Jesus has a bigger vision for your life than what you can see. And it's so easy, right, to get caught up in what we can see in the day today. I asked you last week to fill out a coffee filter, okay? Hopefully you have that, but I get it. I've been a pastor long enough. A handout is, here, you throw this away. But you remember, hopefully, the names. That's the point. It doesn't matter if you kept the coffee filter. Hopefully you, were, you, you, um, you remembered the names of the people that you wrote down. Here's the question I want to ask you as you think about those names. Who has God called you to see the potential in? Who has God called you to see the potential in? I hope it's one of, if not all of those names uh, that you wrote down on that coffee filter. And one of my challenges is I'm going to ask you over the next two weeks to actually have a conversation with them and say, this is what I see in your life. And here's the deal. As a Jesus follower, as a discipler, you have to embrace the tension of awkwardness, right? You have to embrace that. Because I think as a culture, we don't, <laughs> we don't compliment each other uh, enough, let alone speak a blessing, which is much more theologically um, in tune with God. We, we don't speak a blessing over somebody's life. And so you're going to need to embrace the awkward tension of your friend, your family member, your coworker, your neighbor, sort of, you know, the look on their face as they're processing this incredible compliment blessing you're speaking into their life. You're going to have to embrace the awkwardness. But again, Jesus calls us to do this. Joseph Meyer in his book, Organic Community, says this, the number one question a person has when you speak into someone's life isn't um, what's in it for me, but rather, why me? Why me? And I kind of got to go, I think more than one disciple asked that question. When Jesus says, come and follow me, they're probably not asking what's in it for me. Hello, Jesus was homeless. He was a carpenter. He threw parties at other people's houses and left before they had to clean up. There wasn't a lot in it for them. The question they were asking is this, Jesus, why would you call me? Now, historically, that's a really good question. As I said last week, rabbis would handpick their students. You had to study the Torah. Most Jewish boys would know the Torah by 8, 10, definitely by 12 years old, okay? Your kids can memorize scripture. It's, it's possible. Believe me. And then they had to do oral exams, and the, and the rabbis would decide, I'll take this guy, this guy, and, and that guy. Come and follow me. But these dudes were working. They failed. College dropouts, right? They, they weren't good enough for their local synagogue and their Jewish rabbi. These are people that are overlooked by society. Now, when you think about your journey and your faith and the church, right? And you think about sitting in a series like this where we are asking you to step up and to step into a weekend serving team as we plan to, you know, think about the spring and as we're heading towards Easter and a lot of really good things are happening 
in the science and medical world uh, in the midst of this uh, pandemic. It, we're asking you to step up and to step in to this. And oftentimes in the church world, we go, "What? Why me? I don't. I don't. You know, I don't. Get, I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not like Ben. I don't have a master's in God. This is so arrogant. To, it's weird that you." You know what I mean? Like, I haven't studied the... I didn't pause my life for almost a decade and study the Bible. Yeah, we do that a lot, don't we? Not necessarily... Well, maybe because of our experiences or insecurities. And yet Jesus calls... He ex, like, this is the bar. You are to be hero makers. How in the world are you following me and you're 5, 10, 20 years into this Jesus thing and you've not baptized one person? Right? That's not a statement of guilt. It's just a gut check. Like any good coach, any good, any good leader, any good... Any, how in the world have you never baptized anybody? And you've been following Jesus longer than like some of the people at your church have even been alive. This is an expectation that Jesus has. It isn't like, oh, I repented of my sin. I uh, prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I did everything. I kind of give when I can. I'm good. Jesus says, no, you're just... When you step out of the baptistry, my friends, you are stepping into ministry. Andy Stanley, speaker, author, says this, speak to someone's potential versus their performance. Amen? That's like the gospel in a nutshell, right? And it's also good leadership lessons for the work environment. Speak to someone's potential versus their performance. How many times, if you're familiar with the gospels, how many times did Jesus get nailed for speaking into the life of a sinner and the potential they could have for their life if they repented of their sins and believed the gospel. And yet all the religious leaders wanted to nail that person and nail Jesus for breaking the law, for, not, uh, for showing mercy and not showing wrath. How many times? Almost every stinking time the Pharisees and, and Jesus got into it because Jesus looked at someone's potential. If this person would actually believe the gospel and follow Jesus. There is infinite potential of what I could do with this person. But it's so easy in our carnal, uh, carnal, wicked, evolutionary mind is that it's just easier to judge people, right? And the idea of judgment in the New Testament is sort of like your sock underwear drawer where you know where to put things and then you shut it and then you walk away. I know where that goes. We do this with people all the time. I know where they go. You're this kind of person. You look this way. You vote this way. You think this way. You go in this drawer. You go in this drawer. Oh, you, do, you go in this drawer by yourself because you're crazy, right? And then we walk away. Jesus doesn't look at us at our labels. He looks at us at the potential of where we could go. As you're having your ICNU conversations this week, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Tell them about the potential that they don't know they have in Christ. And if they're not a Christian, tell them about the potential of the hope of the gospel and the depth and the love of the love of God. My goodness, I hope that you've been captivated by the love of God enough to be able to share your story, right? You're the most important person to the friends in your circle of influence, that you'd have the courage to be able to share that with somebody as you're having these kinds of conversations. I asked our staff if they'd be willing to share uh, a photo of themselves and uh, talk a little bit about why they went into ministry. 
Uh, this is what Brian Yakey said, our worship pastor. He said, there wasn't really a time uh, I remember not being in ministry of some form. Uh, my parents were in ministry because I was, uh, before I was born, not because I was born, and ministering to others and part of, it's part of who I've always been. And as I've matured in ministry, this has changed slightly. And getting to see others thrive in ministry is what brings me the greatest uh, joy Knowing others are able to use their passion to minister is what brings the greatest joy today. Let me tell you something, church. One of my favorite hours of the week, this is my favorite, aside from this, uh, is Tuesday mornings about 9 a.m., let's be honest, 9.15, because I'm doing a coffee run, uh, in our staff meeting, celebrating you, celebrating the fact that even in a pandemic, people are getting baptized. People want to serve in the church. People want to have Jesus kinds of conversations. People want to join in a life group. And we, and we talk about you in a good way. And we say, who, who, do, who do we need to have conversations with? Who, who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs to hear the potential of who they could be in Christ? He, who, who is sort of coming to our church, but is just kind of taking up space and, and floating around, and no one's really ever asked them to step up in any way? Who, like, who could we have those kinds of conversations with? We're not perfect at this church, but we're challenging one another as a staff to be asking, having conversations, and praying about who are the people that we could say, Here's the potential I see in you. I'm not, I'm not even asking you to believe it. I'm asking you to have the, the faith and the grace to just receive it first, okay? Then go home and wrestle with it, and hopefully you will come to believe about the potential that I see in you. If you've read the book Hero Maker, I've encouraged everyone to grab a copy. A lot of our leaders read it last year when we were planning to do this series uh, last March, and, and we were just simply calling these conversations I see in you conversations. Simple way to remember this, right? To have these conversations with the people uh, in your circle of influence. Uh, everyone in-house has a magnet of a superhero with the letters I see in you. I want you to take this magnet home, put this on your fridge, and remind yourself that Jesus expects me, right? Expects me to give my life away to other people, to invest and invite and to disciple them. Like that's an expectation of being a Jesus follower. Now we've read the great commission, right? Where Jesus tells the disciples, everything I've taught you over the last three years of my ministry, you go and do that same thing. Paul does the same thing with Timothy. Timothy is actually younger than me. He's planting churches in Ephesus, that big city that I was telling you about where a riot broke out, I think around Acts 16 or so. Um, Timothy is in Ephesus to plant churches. Young dude, single dude. Paul has invested in him. So Paul is sort of the spiritual father, the hero maker of Timothy. And Timothy, uh, Paul is giving Timothy some ministry advice, and this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's on your magnet. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Remember when we were doing life groups together? Remember when we were at church together? Remember when we were at lunch together with other people from the churches that I started, Timothy? Entrust everything I taught you to those people. 
people that are qualified. Here's the, here's the funny comedic part about church playing. You have no idea who's going to walk in your doors, right? And you hope they love Jesus. They're somewhat emotionally, relationally stable. And if those two things check out, you, you give, hey, could you greet? <laughs> could, could you? And, and Timothy is like, how in the world do I grow a church? And Paul tells Timothy, remember everything that I taught you. Go and do that with the people that are going to come to uh, First Christian Church of Ephesus uh, in the first century. What have you learned about your faith? Uh, at Christmas Eve, we talked about this idea that Mary found out that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And the text reads, she not only pondered these things, but she treasured these things in her heart. In your quiet time with Jesus, in your prayer time, in your Bible reading, in your fasting, in your life group experiences, your conversations, I know many of you take walks and use that time to talk to the Lord. In your time journeying with Jesus for your own transformation, what has he taught you? Okay, Those people that you wrote on your coffee filter, teach them that. Teach them that. Begin there. If you don't know where to begin, start going through a gospel with them. What Jesus has taught you, you go and teach other people. Let me tell you something. Paul killed Christians for a living. So if Paul can be saved by grace, his name was Saul before that long story. We'll talk about that when we go through Acts. If Saul could kill Christians and think he was doing the Lord's work, right, he can use us. Because on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts, when he encountered Jesus, oh yeah, you bet there's some stuff there he learned about God that he told every church leader, every church that he planted. You better believe it, that he shared his story. What has God told you? How has God invested in you? In Acts 1.8, Luke writes these words, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus' vision for the church. This is Jesus' vision for us individually as well as corporately as a church. Go. What are you doing sitting here? Go out in your week and invest in other people. Give your life away. Make others hero makers. Let me close by reading again the Great Commission, which is not something that we should just religiously see on a wall in a church or a Christian bookstore. This is, this is our calling. This is our battle cry, my friends. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by my heavenly Father. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is like, I'm in control of everything. What are you worried about? Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus is calling us to. It's not only how we're supposed to think, but how we're supposed to see other people beyond your labels that you have for people, beyond where they're at positionally in their life, to look at them with the gospel potential of what could happen if they encountered the love of God the way you've encountered the love of God. Somebody loved you enough to share their faith with you, to tell you about Jesus. And Jesus says, church, I need you to see that. I need you to look at people the way that I've looked at you. And you can change the world. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thanks so much for this call to see others the way you see them, to give your life away and not receive that as just like a nice religious sentiment, but we start putting people in our calendars on our phone. We start texting people for lunch appointments, coffee appointments, and though it is what you've called us to, may we, <laughs> we repent of the idea of I'm too busy. Maybe busyness is an idol that you need to confront in our spirits. If we're too busy to do <laughs> the thing that you called us to do, is to make disciples, to share our faith and to baptize them and to teach them everything you taught the disciples, everything you're teaching us. God, if you need to, Holy Spirit, if you need to, wreck us, reorient us, and give us the life and space and calendar that reflects how a hero maker lives. And may other people be the result of our investment in them. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.